We would encourage you to take your copy of God's Word this Easter Sunday morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. John chapter 20 this morning will be in verses 1 through verse 16 of the resurrection story as noted in John's Gospel. What a glorious Easter morning. We've already had one service. We had a a great 7 o'clock service, and I'm so thankful that you're here this morning uh, on Easter Sunday. And for many of you, you're visiting with us. Welcome to Dawson. For many of you, you are longtime members of our church. But I have a feeling that for some of you, this is your first time back in person in the midst of the sort of last year of COVID. And, And what a glorious Sunday for you to join us this morning in person. We have many that are, are worshiping from home, and we welcome you, and we're so thankful that you've chosen to worship with us this Easter Sunday morning. Church, let's say it again. Christ is risen. He is risen Christ is risen. He is risen Where do you place your hope? Where do you place your hope for life and your hope in death? Steve Jobs in 2005 delivered at Stanford University one of the most famous commencement addresses ever given. Uh, This last week it had tallied over 37 million views. It comes on the heels of Jobs' cancer diagnosis that a few years after delivery of this address would actually take his life. It, It is a frank and moving and utterly transparent delivery of of a person that is is staring mortality in its eyes and coming to reckon with what actually matters. And I think it's worth pondering for us this Sunday morning what one of the most influential people of the last 50 years talks about hope in the face of mortality. Notice what Jobs says and notice what Jobs doesn't say. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination that we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice, your heart, and your intuition. It's interesting because he so movingly captures where a person would place their hope absent the story of Christianity, absent the story of Jesus. Where is one's hope to be placed in the face of death if the central story of Christianity is not the guiding story of Job's life or of millions and billions of people? Notice what he says that hope is discovered in the face of mortality by the opportunity to live your unique life. That hope is discovered in following one's own inner voice and heart and intuition. Now, Jobs does a beautiful job, not of inventing a message, but of really really summarizing a message that is as old as thousands of thousands of years here. And, and he tells us that apart from Jesus, one can find hope by following their passions, by being true to themselves. Carpe diem. Seize the day. But, but what 
if a central tenet of, of Job's entire message was, was predicated on, on something that was wrong? What, what if there is a line in at least this part of, of a 15-minute address that really is the very hinge of everything that is being spoken of? That no one, did you notice it? Well, of course you did. That no one has ever escaped death. Easter, Sunday morning, for billions of Christians throughout the ages, for, for millions and billions of Christians across the world, across continents, is our declaration from God's Word that there is one who has escaped the clutches of death. There is one who has defeated death, and we revel in the story God's story of his perfect son living an unblemished life, dying a sacrificial death, and upon the cross, his blood covered the sins, the failures of all who would turn to him for faith. Now, what we discover on Easter Sunday morning is that Friday is not the end of the story, but the rest of the story, the power, not just of death, but of the one who has conquered death, is the very source of everlasting and true hope here on earth. Where do you place your hope in the face of challenges and even the finality of death? Here's the story, a greater story, the truest story that we read this morning, the, the rest of the story found in John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Read along with me in your copy of God's Word. Now, on the first day of the week, John 20, starting in verse 1, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, so she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them. Now, now we know, just a little side note here, that the one who Jesus loved is going to be the reference to John the Apostle throughout the Gospel of John here. So we have Simon Peter and John that Mary Magdalene goes to tell the, the news, which was not good news in her mind. This was bad news in her mind here. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. They're criminals that have looted the tomb of Jesus. This is what she's saying. So verse 3, Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, then he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Peter and John, John the Beloved, are the first uh, witnesses of an empty tomb along with Mary Magdalene here. Uh, the Beloved John, John the Apostle, is the first recorded believer of the resurrection. I, I love that, that phrase in verse 8 that he saw and he believed here. Now this is staggering in so many ways because just a chapter previous, John the Beloved is consoling the mother of Jesus as she stares upon the cross as her son utters his last uh, words. It is finished. 
He, he, we can imagine, shields the eyes of Mary Magdalene uh, as, as Mary Magdalene gazes upon the very one who cast demons out of her and gave her a new lease of freedom and forgiveness. And now he's saying, don't look, Mary. As they break Jesus' legs just to prove that he was dead. And so it is that that John runs to the tomb. That John runs to the tomb with Peter, and he gazes upon the evidence that is left behind, and it is evidence that demands a verdict. He, he, was, he was one of the originators of, of investigative science here. He looks at the evidence that is left behind, and he deduces uh, what is to be the only solution to the evidence that is given to him. As he says, one plus one plus one equals the resurrection of Jesus. The stone rolled away, plus the empty tomb, plus the linen wrappings, plus the folded headcloth. He, the beloved John, gazes upon this evidence, and his conclusion is this. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He saw and he believed. Now, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he details this account so that thousands of years later that we could sit in these pews and, and we could, could follow behind him we could run to the empty tomb and we could gaze upon the evidence, the evidence that is left behind for us through the Holy Spirit, through the very ink and paper that we hold before us in the Word of God, and it is still today, thousands of years later, evidence that demands a verdict. Do you see and do you believe? What do you do with the evidence that is before us? What do you do with the linen wrappings that are left behind? What do you do with the folded headcloth that is folded neatly beside? What do you do about the fact that Paul says that 500 witnesses saw with their very own eyes the resurrected Jesus walking in their midst? What do we do with these cowering disciples who become courageous proclaimers who are willing to die for the one who died himself on that Good Friday? What do we do with the evidence? Do we see and do we believe? John details the evidence because he knows that there are going to be people that run behind him to look and to gaze upon the evidence. And when we see and when we believe, it makes all the difference. What difference does it make? What difference does it make, you ask? Well, Easter, it means hope in the face of all of our failures. You can't help but to look at those two that were running and that inaugural resurrection run 5K. You've got Peter and you've got John and you see them running to the empty tomb right there. And it was just uh, two chapters before. The last cameo we saw Peter when Judas betrays Jesus. When, when Jesus has this trumped-up trial and he's being questioned by the high priest, it's in that moment that someone sees Peter and, and through that, that charcoal fire, they say, I think I know him. Yeah, I know him. You're one of those disciples. You're one of those followers. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Not me. The second person gazes upon Peter and says, well, hey, I think you're one of the followers of him. No, 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 not me. And the third time, Peter denies Jesus. So you know what fuels Peter's run to the empty tomb? It is fueled by shame. It is fueled by regret. 
The very one who had been crucified is the one who believed so much in him. And when he, Jesus, was at his place of greatest need, the most courageous and outspoken of all the disciples would go mute and disown Jesus in that moment. But guess what? The resurrection means for Peter that his failure doesn't have the final word in his life. This is the power of the resurrection story because the very one that he denies will be the one who doesn't deny him, who doesn't disown him. It will be the very one who appears to Peter in John chapter 21 and says, do you love me? Well, feed my sheep. Do you know what Peter hears? Not only that he isn't disowned because of his failure, but that he is not disqualified from being the very person in Acts that would stand on the day of Pentecost and courageously proclaim, proclaim the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His failure wasn't final, and guess what? The resurrection means that there's hope in the face of your failure. Because every one of us are like Peter. Every one of us run to the empty tomb with a trail of our failures. Every one of us in this room, we, we sit in this sanctuary with a, a burden of weight and guilt that lies upon us. And just like Peter, we can't get it off of our shoulders. And there's only one. There's only one who can break the, the, very, the very lock that we seem imprisoned with, that there seems to be no key to get us out of, and the source of freedom from the weight of guilt, the source of freedom from the weight of our sins is none other than the resurrected Jesus Christ. I love the way that Paul, years later, would reflect upon this very thought when he's writing to the church at Corinth in the 15th chapter, and he says, and if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and guess what? You are still in your sins. But praise God that Christ has been raised. Praise God that while we feel that our failure is a cell that imprisons us without any hope of parole, without any hope of pardon, Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the key that unlocks that weight, unlocks that lock, and gives us hope to face all of our tomorrows. Do you know that Easter means hope in the face of your failures? Do you see? And do you believe? Ernest Hemingway, decades ago, read a short story entitled The Capital of the World, where he depicts a father who's estranged from his son living in Madrid, and his son's name is Paco, and he, and he scours Madrid to be able to find his son. His son has disowned him. His son has run away, and, and all of his searching come, comes to to no progress, and finally, in desperation, he goes to Madrid, and he takes out a full-page ad in the local paper of Madrid, and it's simple ad that just says, Paco, meet at Hotel Montana noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. And in Hemingway's story, the father arrives at noon at the hotel only to discover hundreds of of boys who happened to be named Paco, who saw the ad in the newspaper, hoping that it was their father that was offering forgiveness for their failures. Do you know what Easter means? 
Do you know the power of Easter is the forgiveness that our Heavenly Father offers to any and every one of us who see the evidence and believe, who see the evidence and trust? Easter Sunday is God's full-page ad. Pinned with the ink of the blood of Christ, taken out in human history, saying to you, to me, to all who would turn to him, all is forgiven, come home to me. Do you know that Easter means hope in the face of all of our failures? That's not all the story. The glorious news that we have to share this morning of on, on Resurrection Sunday is not only does Easter mean that there's hope in the face of our failures, it also means that there is, through the power of the resurrection, hope in the face of our finality. John chapter 20, read with me in verse 11. Peter and John, they leave the tomb, undoubtedly a, a different way. They don't intersect with Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene is left, as we read, weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned, and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Peter and John have left the empty tomb. And in their haste, they, they don't share with Mary Magdalene what, what they've deduced from the evidence that is left behind here. They, they run the other way. Mary Magdalene is left there weeping. Mary Magdalene is left there with her tears. She's uninformed. She, she doesn't know what has happened. She still is under the weight of the indignity of the act of criminals looting the very tomb of the one that she loved, Jesus himself, her teacher. Angels appear to her, asking her, why are you weeping? Well, of course, Mary says, he's gone. They've stolen his body. It's in that moment that Jesus appears. It's always interesting to me. Jesus speaks to Mary, is beside Mary, but he doesn't reveal in that moment. Mary, you know who I am. It's in that moment that they have a conversation, but, but Mary is overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe it is the, the grief-stricken eyes of Mary that don't, don't look up in that moment. Of course, Jesus would be the last person that she would expect to be standing next to her. Of course, she would suspect him to be a gardener, so she asks just sort of an inquisitive question. Do you know where they took his body? And it's in that moment that with one word, The haze of unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity is broken. And the nod of recognition sinks in as Jesus does what? He calls her by 
name. And it's in this moment, oh, would you long to be there? Would you have longed to have a camera just to see what it was like in, in that, that second where Mary turns? She turns from weeping to the gaze of recognition. She turns understanding that death is not final. It is not unsurprising to us. It is not uh, uh, something that should surprise us at all that he would speak to her in such a way because what we discover in John chapter 10 is, is that Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep and does what? Calls them by name. And the sheep, well, they know his voice. So it's in this moment where the calendar changes between B.C. and A.D. It's in this moment where Mary Magdalene realizes that death, which once and forever was always final, has met its match. And death, with what we discover, has this power that is so final, has ultimately been broken by the power of a person, and that person's name is Jesus. This is the great news of the resurrection is that death doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word in Mary's story. Death doesn't get the last word in Jesus' story. And for any of us who see and believe, for any of us who trust in Jesus, death does not get the last word in your story. This is the glorious news that we celebrate this Easter Sunday morning, that this story is a foretaste of the story that we will enter in through an eternity with him. The death is not final. The death is not the end. But to be absent from the body, Paul would say, is to be present with the Lord. So each and every one of us will hear our name called by our Lord as he is the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in him will live even though you, even though I die. Death doesn't get the last word. It's not the end. It's over a decade ago that there was a pastor's conference in Orlando, and we had two children at that time, and so Danielle and I said, hey, this would be a good time for us to go to this conference and just sort of book in the trip by spending a day or two at Magic Kingdom. And so we took our four-year-old, two-year-old, Hayden and Luke, down to uh, Orlando and to the Magic Kingdom and it was interesting, we were trying to get off really, really early, but there was a funeral that morning, I remember vividly, and so it delayed us leaving from where I was serving in Tupelo, Mississippi, to early, mid-afternoon, which meant we had to take that 11-hour drive and break it up. Halfway point was Dothan, Alabama. We stopped in Dothan, maybe it was about 8 o'clock. It was enough time for us to, to be able to get out, go to a pizza place. We got a little bit of ice cream. We went to the hotel. You know, like a hotel for a four and a two-year-old, it is just the magic kingdom. I mean, they got elevators you can get on. It was like 9.45. We went back up to the room, got our swimming stuff in there, got into the pool there. The kids just had this awesome time. We got them up the next morning, loaded up the minivan. My son in the back called out to me, Dad, this was so much fun. How long is it going to take for us to get home? <laughs> hey, a little side note here on Easter Sunday. Save the Disney trip for your four and two-year-old. Take them to the Hampton Inn in Dothan. It's all they need. <laughs> hey, all they need. We have to show them pictures. 
We have to show them pictures. You were there. I promise you, you were there. There it is. So. And I said to them, I said, boys, this isn't our destination. This is just the start of the week. We haven't even gotten to where we're going yet. You think this is great? Just wait to where we're headed. So often in life, we need to be reminded that the end is not the end. But for any and every person who sees and believes, the, the end, my friend, is only the beginning. As C.S. Lewis, as he ends the last battle, says of what Narnia would be like, which ultimately is what heaven will be like in the new heaven and the new earth, is that what is before us is far greater than what will be behind us. Every chapter is better than the last one. That means the end is only the beginning. Church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. You know what this means? It means hope in the face of your failures. It means hope in the face of your finality. So this Easter Sunday, I ask you one question that I'll leave you with. Where are you placing your hope? Are you placing your hope in your pursuits? Are you placing your hope in your passions? Maybe this Easter Sunday, you could be reminded that our hope is only secure when it rests in the one who passionately pursues you, the risen Lord Jesus. Church, Christ is risen. Is risen Christ is risen. Is risen Gracious God, so it is this morning that we celebrate that you, God, are the risen Lord and Savior. There's not a single person that is here, myself first and foremost, that do not walk into this sanctuary with a litany of failures, sins that separate us from you, a holy God. The glorious, life-changing news of this Easter weekend is that for every sin, everything that we have said that we wish we could take back, everything we should have said that we withheld, every overstep and misstep that through the forgiving work of Jesus upon the cross, through the power of the resurrection, our failure is not final. May we see and may we believe that you get the last word in the case of every one of our failures. There's no denying that we all face a destination that has no prejudice no discrimination. We all will travel to the end of our life here on this earth. And may today be a glorious reminder that that end, through the resurrection of Jesus, is just the beginning. Easter, Jesus, he is our hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.